The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Welcome to, back to P.I.'s Declassified. Well, it's a countdown. The World Investigators Conference is Next week, in five days, if you're going, make your arrangements now. Hosted by the Texas Association of Licensed Investigators and sponsored by PA Magazine. It's the 16th through the 19th next week, August 16th through the 19th. Details are available at www.pimagazine.com or www.tally.com. So, without any more time lapse, let me introduce you to my guest, William Blake, Bill Blake. And you, you just recently retired from the private investigation business, but you're still doing security consultant. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, today we're talking about, um, now let me just mention to you, um, I know you author uh, lots of articles on security, and you also have, I, I want to tell people that uh, you offer some training programs on your website, which look really good for people that are interested in this security business. You want to give that website, Bill? That website is www.blakeassociates.com. Okay. And so I I want to point that out because I looked through that and it looked like some really interesting um, trainings with some good meat in them. So, um, but... What do you think is the most um, critical problem facing private investigators? Well, in today's uh, world of the private investigator, it's slowly shrinking uh, with the uh, increasing number of governmental regulations and local laws. The private investigator cannot continue to be just a single uh, service or product business. If they fail to adapt to changing conditions, there's a good possibility of of business failure. Yeah, for sure. So, so what can a PI do to adapt to it? Well, the PI, uh, most PIs have an extensive history of investigations with a governmental entity or a large corporation, and that history included adequate administrative support, a human resources staff. Yeah public relations uh, personnel, and no requirement to solicit investigations. We normally had more work than we could handle anyways. And now, as they, upon entering the uh, business environment, they're no longer just an investigator, but they're a 
business person who provides investigative skills. And they and this requires that they come up with all of the ancillary skills that are required to run a business, such as hiring people and public relations and marketing skills. And it's a, a daunting task, and it requires innovation and the assumption of many of the formerly absent ancillary skills if you're going to be successful. Well, I think that's really true because uh, many people, I would probably say, um, 60, 70, maybe even 80% come out of a law enforcement background where they've been working for another, working for somebody else and haven't had to have these business skills. So how do you, how do you go about developing that? What do you do first? Well, first of all, if you're going to go into business, you have to have a business plan so you know what the market is, who your competitors are, and where are you going to get business. You can't just go blindly into it. You have to <laughs> get some information off from various websites and books on how to start a business. And I'm laughing because there are so many people that don't do that. It's astonishing. Well, it's amazing to me. We, uh, IntelNet recently put out a book uh, that talks about how to start a business and things like that. And it's amazing the number of phone calls that I get from people who say, well, how do I do this? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they're not even sure what's on the Internet. Yeah. So you, you have to look. It's there. Well, and Bill, you and I both belong to a, a number of associations. And just by the questions that are asked on the various uh, private investigator and security listservs, you know that there's a problem. Well, there sure is, and a lot of it is because people don't really understand what they're getting into and don't know how to go about setting up a business. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned, uh, Bill, you mentioned IntelNet. You want to tell the folks that are listening what IntelNet is? IntelNet is an international association of private investigators and security consultants. And we have members in about every country of the world and all of the U.S. states where we can work with other investigators on a subcontract basis if, we, if it's something that's out of our local area. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, it's a different organization in that a lot of private investigation asso- associations, the only requirement for being a member is that your check doesn't bounce. Where an Intel <laughs> now, we, we run a background investigation, a limited background investigation on each individual, and they have to have a minimum of 10 years of investigative service even okay. for consideration members. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, how, would, how would people find out more about that organization? Well, the uh, website for IntelliNet is www.intellinetwork.org. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.org. Great. Okay. Thanks for that, Bill, because I think some people might be interested in looking into it. So back to security consultant, um, what would be the need for for expanding your business into security consulting? Well, the main advantage is it's a way to increase your billable hourly rate 
And the recent events have demonstrated uh, that tourism and mass shootings are increasing uh, with small groups of people trying to take possession of, of various types of venues. And the psychological and financial costs of such activities become astronomical when the public is uh, afraid of being in a public place. The security consultant who understands the terrorist and criminal mentality and their operating methods uh, can identify threats to a business and assist in in developing cost-effective countermeasures uh, which will be of value if they decide that somebody decides to sue them for negligent security. Yeah. Well, that's certainly on the forefront of all of our minds, these mass shootings across the country, across the, the world, actually, um, yeah. is, are just a scary thing that we have to deal with. So, um, so does a security consultant have any specific benefits? Tell us more. Tell me more about that. Well, the benefits to the security consultant are only limited by his or her experience, imagination, ambition, and dedication as a professional. What we need to do as security people and private investigators is become a team player with a client. Not that we're outsiders, but we're there to express our support for our clients. And also, as a result of this, the security consultant's average billable hours can be expanded to provide significant additional income. Additionally, it's a marketing opportunity for the consultant who never tells a client they cannot perform a particular security service. It's an obvious opportunity for networking and where if someone asks an investigator, can you do this, the answer is always yes, because he either does it as an individual or he subcontracts it out to some other individual and gets a management fee for locating the appropriate investigator, defining the requirements, and making sure that the investigator that he's subcontracted to will uh, provide the appropriate services. Okay, so, you know, um, it's been my experience, my limited experience in this area, Bill, that many companies don't even realize they have a need for this. That's very true. They do not have, the small to medium companies do not have the expertise normally or a security staff. The Fortune 500 companies and big operations like that normally have very competent uh, security staffs. So the private investigator should market to the small and medium business and help them get their act together so that if they get uh, sued for negligent security, uh, they've got a chance of uh, winning the case. And how do you go about convincing them that they re- this is really a need? Well, you have to go in and when you you have to talk to the decision makers. The CEO, not necessarily uh, the security director, because they feel you're trying to uh, make them look bad or lose mm. their job or something like that, and they normally right. do not have financial decision-making authority. So you go in and you talk about return on investment. 
In other words, it's like the old Fram oil filter ad of many years ago where it says you can pay me a little bit now, but if you don't, you're going to pay me an awful lot more later. Right. So in a case, the average uh, cases get extremely expensive, and then not only the settlement and the uh, judgment, but you got to pay attorney's fees. Win, lose, or draw, you got to pay mm-hmm. an attorney. Sure. So, you know, you have to figure out, is it, should I pay a couple thousand now to find out what my problem is and then try to take uh, measures to counter these problems or do I wait and hope I never get sued? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And you do have to talk to the, the person who makes the financial decisions with the company in order to do that because nobody else will be able to, uh, even if they get it, they won't be able to react to it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So, so are there financial benefits um, in this area, Bill, for a, a private investigator that wants to get into the security field? It's a significant uh, chance to make uh, more billable hours. For instance, payscale.com collects financial information for various skills and has come up with the following annual uh, salary ranges. Private investigator from 30600 to 106700 and then a security consultant from 55000 to 175000 and then as a disaster recovery planner, it can be from 60000 to 105. Now, uh, there's a lot of factors that impact on the high-end scales, but if you take a look at those scales, you can see the significant financial benefits mm. for private investigators who want to open up their uh, business services. Okay, so what's, tell me what the difference is between a security consultant and a disaster recovery planner. Okay, the, uh, the security consultant is an individual who makes an assessment of a business and its operation to identify risks to the business and helps the business uh, design cost-effective, reasonable, and appropriate countermeasures. Mm-hmm. The disaster recovery planner goes along beyond that, and this is basically business continuity. If you have a flood that wipes out your business, it's pre-planning oh, to get back in business as soon as you can. If you don't get back within about a year, you're not going to be in business at all because your customers and employees are going somewhere else. So that's the difference. One is showing them what the risks is. Uh, risks are, and the disaster recovery planner is the one who helps them get back in business after a catastrophe. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I can I can see that. So, so the companies that, if somebody wanted to go out into this area, venture out in this area, would be the um, the medium companies, not the Fortune 500 companies, but the companies because they they already have their staff but it would right. be the medium-sized companies. So would you say, what, up to maybe 500 employees? That would be a, that would be a pretty good uh, maximum. I think that what they need to look at is where in their area is there an opportunity for someone to commit a criminal or terrorist or other hostile act. Uh, it would be a shopping center. It could be some 
controversial uh, organization such as Planned Parenthood or some outfit that is using uh, animals for uh, lab purposes and things like this. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a big chain company. It's kind of going. Uh, it's going to be the small to medium local businesses. Okay. All right. And um, what when you when you would go approach? Say you were approaching them first time. What would you say to this business owner? I would talk to the business owner in terms of return on investment and the financial costs and the cost to their reputation if someone was seriously injured or killed on their property and talk to them and with the idea that it's cheaper in the long run to be prepared than to have to react to a lawsuit. Right. And in other words, it's all in terms of money and reputation. It's a pay me now or pay me more later. Yeah, for sure. I can see that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, Bill. Um, Bill Blake will be right back with more great information from private investigators. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator and security consultant Bill Blake is my guest today. We're talking about the changing landscape of private investigation and the possibility of going into something called security consulting. So so we were just talking about how you go about approaching uh, someone to consider 
security services. And Bill, what would you consider would be the smallest company, the smallest, I guess, number of employees uh, that you would approach? Because I can't, you, you're not going to approach the local uh, uh, little strip, strip mall restaurant. So who well, would I, you approach? The, I don't think the size of the business is really a factor. I think it's the exposure. Uh, for instance, you could have a strip mall where you've got a couple of mom and pop stores, and then you've got a place that's uh, much bigger, and somebody decides to start shooting up the whole mall. So mm-hmm. you've all got a problem. It's more individual companies rather than size. What is okay. their exposure? So would you what? approach somebody like a, a, a chain like Walmart or Pennies or somebody like that? Well, most of the, of the big box stores and the ones with numerous facilities have their own security staff, and they're usually pretty competent. The one you'd want to approach is kind of like the local mall, for instance, where you have a bunch of uh, stores within the mall, but it's not one of the uh, a mall that is part of one of the big countrywide operations. Mm-hmm. Because that's where people are, and if somebody wanted to make a statement, uh, they could do that. Now, one of the things that companies don't do and they should really consider is if you have a par- um, an employee who is in the process of a nasty divorce or something like that and has a uh, restraining order against the spouse, then this employee should be required to tell the uh, company about this situation, so they can take mm-hmm. better. Ch- uh, they can take steps to protect her, because the uh, spouse cannot find out where she's living now, because the post office cannot release the address. She's got mm-hmm. a cell phone; they don't know where that is, but he knows where she works. Right. So right. he could come to work, and and we've had these shooting incidents recently. Right. So right. there's it's not just the terrorist and the master criminal you have to worry about. You have employees that can cause you a lot of problems too. That's absolutely true. So, Bill, have you ever I'm just wondering about uh, marketing something like this. Have you ever gone to a business and said, "Well, let me let me analyze your risks uh for free and see where you are with this and then we'll go from there." Well, that's a terrific approach. Unfortunately, a lot of private investigators and security consultants have the idea that if I do something for nothing, I'm stupid. I should be getting paid for whatever (laughs) I do. But it's Uh public relations for the uh, investigator or consultant. And what you're doing is you're telling your potential client that, hey, I'm not out here just to get your money. I'm out here to help you become a more safe and secure environment so you don't run afoul of the premises liability laws. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another way you can get your act out there is to go to and be a dinner speaker at certain uh, groups like a a building management association or something like this. Uh, You know, it's the elevator speech type approach where you Within a very short period of time, you tell them who you are, what you can do, and why it's of value to them. 
So there's well, a lot of ways to go at it. You just have to use a little imagination. And a lot of them, uh, like chambers of commerce, they're always looking for somebody right. to they are. make a presentation. So there oh, you go. Yeah. You've got a source right there. Chambers of commerce or even even places like the Lions Club and Kiwanis, the Rotary oh, Club. Oh, yes, all of the uh, uh, social clubs or service clubs, whatever you want to call them, they're always looking for somebody. And the important thing for any investigator or consultant is name recognition. Mm-hmm. Every time they get a chance to put their name out on something or make a presentation, that's marketing that doesn't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. And oh. so, if, so if you started with a business, uh, say, say you offered your services that way, and you went into the business, what would be the first thing you would look at? Would it be there? Well, the first see if they the had a thing you have policy to do manual. Is conduct a risk assessment to identify what are the risks to the facility, and that's both internal and external risk. Because if you're in a, a gang, heavy gang area you're going to have a lot more potential risk than if you're uh, in a high-end area where there's nothing but closed communities. Mm -hmm. So you go out and and you take a look at what are they, what's their problems, what's their potential, and then come up with some way to counter those. And that's usually just a paper exercise after that, developing policies and procedures, making sure that your guard force is operating the way you want it to, and that you have qualified guards. And I okay. say qualified because most places they're all, uh, the guards are minimum wage, and mm-hmm. uh, they move on every time somebody offers them another 25 cents an hour. So you you can't eliminate the, re- the requirement for uh, ex- uh, for supervision and management. You cannot, uh, a business owner can transfer the security operations to a third party, but it cannot transfer the obligation or responsibility. So right. they have to understand where they, where they are. So do you recommend guards in all businesses? No. I, I take, uh, my feeling is uh, guards are okay, but there are ways that you can... Uh, have the same capability with a little uh, less money involved. Uh, And I don't believe in the requirement that you've got to have armed guards because the average armed guard uh, is not the highest quality in the world. And people tell me that, well, I, uh, my security, armed security officers are former cops. Well, my attitude to that is, why does an average cop who here in Colorado gets fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year leave law enforcement to go to be a minimum wage security officer? Yeah, has he been fired? Has he been that's in a, trouble? That's a really good point. Yeah, for sure. And one and, thing that I found over the years is that the average cop and security officer in a stress situation, couldn't hit the ceiling in a closed room. Hmm, that's interesting. So you get that what is, you pay for. That is not the general perception. Yeah. Interesting enough. Okay. Interesting. So, so the consequences to a business owner if they had a major incident um, usually is a, some kind of a lawsuit, a ne- negligence lawsuit. Right. 
What kinds of cases are included in those kind of uh, negligent claims? Well, you have cases where you have uh, robberies, deaths, rapes, assaults, and batteries, and all other kinds of of criminal activity. So uh, it's a case where if you do have a reasonable and appropriate security, you're going to win more often than the plaintiff in any inadequate security civil trial. Hmm. What's um, do you have a situation, Bill, that you've uh, gone into a business where the risks were so high that it just took your breath away? Can you think of a situation that you've had that way, had like that? Yes, well, I had a situation where we had a dive bar, and the definition of a dive bar is anything goes. And in okay. this dive bar, the bar manager was a convicted drug dealer who was currently dispensing cocaine over the bar. And an individual was got into a was assaulted by a, a, uh, some bar patrons, and they hit him so many times and so hard that he lost about half of his mental capabilities. Wow! And uh, they had no uh, regulations or requirements in when to call the police, when to try to break up the. Uh, potential fight or anything like that. It was such a place that where on their website, they even had a picture of a young lady dispensing sexual favors on the bar. So, it, it, believe <laughs> on me, their it website. Was, it on was website. on the bar's website, <laughs> which <laughs> is not a good way to, to market your business, but mm-hmm. that's the kind of people they drew. Right. They in one block there were fourteen bars, and there uh, the dive bar crime rate based on the police department's statistics was twenty five times any of all the other bars put together. Oh wow! So it was a real dive. But, and so, so how so how did you address that? Did you meet with the owner of the, of the bar? Was it a was it a chain or was it just what sole owner? No, okay. it was a, it was two uh, two women that local women that owned the place, and I got involved in the situation as expert witness for the plaintiff, hmm. and uh, whatever they had signs up that says this place is under constant surveillance, and they had fake cameras, which. Uh-huh presents a problem because it gives the patron the idea that it's a safe and secure place because they're recording things. It's a case of uh, providing an image of security that does not, in fact, exist. That's for sure. And actually, that cuts both ways because it gets around that there are fake, that the cameras are fake, and so they, people ignore them as well and do other things. Oh, yes, uh, that's for sure. Uh, that was the situation with the camera that was covering the bar. <laughs> huh, really? So, so what, was, what was going on? Were, they, were, they, were the bartenders stealing it as well? Oh, no, the bartender, he didn't have to steal. He was making more money selling uh, cocaine oh, okay. over the counter. So. Oh, well, that's, you know, that's a good business, too. Yeah, <laughs> until you get Make caught. a lot of money that way, yeah. Until you get caught, yeah. But each case is separate. You have to look at it as there's no one-size-fits-all 
assessment requirements, you have to look at it and say, okay, what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? Or what do they need to improve on? So, right. It's a, it's a it's second a, pair of eyes because, you, you know, when you're running a business, um, you, you often become blind to what's around you because you see it every day. Well, that and the fact that sometimes you put too much trust in your employees. True. And that's why Absolutely. anybody who's a business owner, a manager, or a supervisor, if uh, they get too close to the uh, people that can cause a problem, and they need to get out there and take a look. Mm-hmm. Can you steal? Is he stealing? And go from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on the camera, back to the camera issue, uh, how long do you tell people that they should maintain their tapes from those or whatever they're, now they're digital. So how long should yeah. they ma- maintain that information before well, it gets rewritten? The unfortunate part of it is there's a lot of people who are still operating with tapes. And I know for a fact in the banking industry, a lot of them were just playing the same tape over and over to the point where it was no good at all. You couldn't see anything. But I think that they should maintain that information after consulting with an attorney. It's usually going to be three years that they have to initiate a lawsuit. So they should remain the information until they can no longer uh, be subject to a lawsuit. Aren't you just surprised, Bill, at how many businesses do not have cameras? Well, again, you know, these people don't understand the risk. Now, cameras in, say, a convenience store are not going to prevent any crime, but -hmm. they're going to be a vehicle for the police officers to go and solve the crime. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people who are going to see that camera and say, well, maybe I better go somewhere else. And I think there is some prevention uh, aspects to uh, cameras, but they're not going to stop a dedicated criminal. That's true, but certainly it would provide evidence after the fact. Oh, yes, it's great for yeah. evidentiary purposes. Yeah. Although, you know, I have to tell you, I, I was assigned to go out to a local city recently to check on, to see if any of the businesses had cameras surrounding this bank. There was a, an attempted bank robbery, and um, the attorney wanted to know what other cameras were around. It was amazing, Bill. There was a, uh, a bank right across the parking lot that had no cameras on that parking lot. There were. There well, I can was, believe I, that. I worked for the banks too long. <laughs> Did you really? I was astonished. I, you know, they're they're just uh, banks have cameras on their ATMs, but they seldom have cameras around the building. Well, that's that's see, that's where they try to cut corners and don't realize that when you eliminate this camera, you're eliminating a certain percentage of your security because crooks are not stupid. They may be crazy in some respects, but they're not stupid. They de- they go out there and conduct a reconnaissance to see what they have to avoid. Yeah, That's why sure. you see them coming in with masks and so on. Yeah, yeah. And well, I was, I was surprised. I, I just, uh, I, I couldn't not find one, well, I take it back. I found one camera facing the opposite direction in a parking lot within two blocks surrounding this bank. And it's just amazing to me. that And cameras are inexpensive. Cameras oh, yes. Are, you, can, 
You can get them at the uh, Walmart now. <laughs> That's right. You can. And roll, you know, you can if even... you take a look at the experience they've had in London, there was a lot of outcry when they started putting cameras all over the public venue out there. And now their crime rate has dropped significantly because of the cameras. Because the people who are monitoring the cameras see something happen, and they send the cops before they're actually needed. But the biggest problem you have with businesses is they never monitor the cameras. They just let them run, and if something happens, we'll look at it. They right. don't have somebody yeah. monitoring them. Yeah. And with the innovations that are out there today, you can monitor them right off your computer sitting on your desk. You so can monitor them. They have to come up to real-life situations. You can even monitor them off your your smartphone. Sure. You don't even have to be in the building. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Bill, we're going to need to take uh, another quick short break in a minute. I'm not sure whether how we are on our time, but I think we're uh, right at the break limit. So let's do that, and we'll stay tuned. We've got more to talk about, about security. We'll be right, we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. It's possible that a private investigator can no longer continue to provide investigative services without an understanding of either how to run a business or offering a single service or a product. So, so Bill, how do you, how do you educate people, um, private investigators, and, and get them where they sh- can be really offering these services on an informed basis? Okay, one of the ways that they can get information is that 
they have to take a look at their conferences and go on around the country in private in- investigation. And there's a lot of skills that a private investigator has that adapt very readily to security consulting, such as how to get information both from uh, uh, public records and from individuals. And mm-hmm. they need to go out and take a look at what's available out there. I don't know of any, uh, at this point, any uh, seminar, workshop, conference, call it what you want, that is specifically oriented to uh, becoming a security consultant. What we're, uh, IntelNet and the Florida Association of Private Investigators is co-sponsoring a seminar or, sorry, a workshop in the Gainesville, Florida area in January. And this is where the two-day conference will talk about how to identify risks, how to develop uh, cost-effective countermeasures such as policies and procedures, how to evaluate security operations and your security force. And it's being put on down at the CSI Academy of Florida. And we're calling it Increasing Your Business Opportunities, Become a Security Consultant. And it will be January 12th to 13th of 2017. Okay. And it's a cost-effective way if somebody wants to find out. uh, The two-day workshop is only going to be $129.00 which includes the attendance fee and continental breakfast and sandwich lunch for both days. And uh, you, they can find more information on this by going to the IntelliNetwork.org website. Okay, and, and that's, they will uh, accept credit cards. Okay, and that's IntelliNet, I-N-T-E-L-L-E-N-E-T, work.org. Did yes, I get ma'am. that right? Okay. Right. <laughs> I got that right. Okay. So that's, oh, that's great. So January 12th and 13th of this coming January in yeah, Gainesville, gonna, Florida. And we're going to try to run it in various sections of the United States during uh, 2017 so that, you know, we'll be coming to your area soon. Okay. Are you coming? Are you really coming to California with that? We're, uh, our next. We're presently trying to decide where to go next, whether we're going to go towards the West Coast or to the Midwest. The problem is getting people to on the on the local area to work with us because there are certain things we can't do long range. Right, for sure. Yeah. But anybody yeah. who wants to co-sponsor with us, we're interested in listening to them. Okay. All right, good. And then uh, I know there's all kinds of publications, and you've been the author of a number of them. Um, one book in particular that you you uh, co-authored with an attorney, Walter F. Yeah. Bradley. Walt Bradley, right. Yeah. That's uh, Premises Security, a Guide for Security Professionals and Attorneys. Would you recommend, and I'm probably asking the wrong person for this, but would you recommend (laughs) reading that book to help out? Yes, we've had some very, very good responses to that. It's a book that covers what is premises liability and negligent security. It it, uh, discusses some cases 
where of negligent security and, and goes that route. It gives some questions that the attorney can ask to try to get valid information. It's been my experience dealing with attorneys that the majority of them really do not know how to get information. It's almost mm-hmm. like uh, the more questions I can ask, the more money I make. Right. Interesting. That's a, yeah, that's it's, an interesting. You know, it's a book that we've, it's been out a long time, but it's still valid. Yeah, some okay. of the cases are old, but they're still, the theory behind them is correct. Great. And and what about as is, um, the Association of Security and Industry, um, they're having their conference in Orlando, I believe, upcoming. Do they, don't they offer uh, training for private security? Well, they have some, but it's kind of a scattered type operation in that it's not, you have to find out, well, which course should I sit in on next? Instead of having a thing, a seminar that is directly related with continuous courses, uh, related courses. Oh, I see. Uh, okay. And, and unfortunately, one of the problems that we're running into in the private investigations business is that we have a lot of younger people, and I mean this in terms of experience now, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. do not have the resources to go to some of these more expensive conferences. They have, they're trying to run a business and run, and they have a family that they have to support. And when you take the cost of a uh, seminar or conference and then add hotel meals and transportation that gets very expensive. So what we want to do with our conference, our workshops, there are no frills type deals. We're not going to offer you catered dinners and tours and all this sort of stuff. We're trying to make it cost effective for a younger, uh, lesser experienced person to get into the educational uh, part of Security consulting. Well, uh, $129 is amazing, actually. Yeah, well, we're, we're not in it to make a lot of money. We're more in it to get the information out. There's some of us that are more concerned uh, with providing information because most of us over the years have learned from other people. Mm-hmm. And we feel that we have an obligation to pass on what we know to the, quote, younger generation. So you're kind of doing a two-day training by immersion, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're the swimming pool. You jump in and we'll pull you out. <laughs> That's great. That's a good analogy. So, so for... Um, just to kind of maybe to summarize, let's go through the tips that you think uh, you would want to give. I'm coming to you today, Bill, as a private investigator. I want to get into the security business. What would you say to me? Okay. First of all, I would tell the individual that if they've been in the uh, private investigation business for a period of time, they have a lot of the requisite skills that are required to be a successful security consulting consultant because they know how to get information from public records from individuals and they they know how to analyze the information that's coming to them for additional leads and so on 
And secondly, they have to uh, understand that the private investigations business is slowly being restricted on what they can do. Uh, probably the best example was back, uh, and I was in the business before there was a requirement for the Miranda warning, which mm-hmm. probably did more for quality investigation than anything else. And they have to realize there's business opportunities out there, but they have to learn how to speak and communicate with senior executives. They have a. They have to understand business principles, and talk in terms of uh, return on investment. Exactly. And when you can convince a business owner that what you do may cost a little bit, but it'll, the potential, and hopefully you never get sued, but that's part of life nowadays. Uh, that they can save money by being prepared, and that they have to go out and remain current in their information. What worked 20 years ago is not going to work today. You have to keep up with it. You can see the changes in computers and all this thing. So uh, it's like the, uh, you know, to paraphrase Shakespeare, the old order changeth, yielding place to new. And if you don't go along with it, you're not going to be in business. I've never thought of you, Bill, as quoting Shakespeare. That's great. <laughs> hey, that was quoted to me by somebody else, so I plagiarized <laughs> okay. the heck out of it. Okay. All right. So um, I'm I'm just looking at um, your, your the offering you have on your website, Bill, um, under the training called Risk Assessment and Premises Liability, a Missed Opportunity. And that's... Uh, you have six points here. How can I benefit from this opportunity? What is premises liability? How to identify the level of risk? What are reasonable and appropriate measures? How do I require expert witness status? I want to come back to that. And how do I successfully interact with attorneys? Those are all really good points that are great discussion items for any anybody looking at either their own private investigation business starting out or getting to the security field? Well, I, I like to try to educate people, and I realize that there, one of the reasons that I like to educate people is back when I was working in that millable hours. But it's now that I'm at the point where I am, I just like to get through to people that you don't have to lose a lot of money, you can do things on a proactive basis rather than having to react. Mm-hmm. And businesses forget one thing, is that their greatest asset is not their people, it is not their proper uh, product, it's their reputation. You can have the best product in the world, but if your people are sarcastic and hard to get along with, your reputation's going downhill. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's and the I, truth. And I think that is probably one thing that if a company gets a reputation that it's not safe to go there, they're not going to, their sales are going to drop. Yeah. They have to understand that. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So back to the, the one about how do I acquire expert witness status? How do you do that? Expert wit, to be an expert witness, all you have to know is a little bit more about a subject than the average person. And you get this knowledge through education, training, and experience. So if a, and if a private investigator wants to be a, uh, expert witness eventually, all they have to do is 
get together with somebody who's doing something. They could be an investigator for some other expert witness uh, or do other things. They have to get work on getting a professional uh, experience background. In other words, courses they go to, publications that they write, and things mm-hmm. like this that shows that these people are better than average. Because mm-hmm. you've got some people out there today that are very good investigators in certain areas. And then right. after that, uh, they're lacking. And that's just the way life is. So you have to do everything you can. Take every course, get professional certifications, um, advanced degrees, and all this sort of stuff. And have a history of being a uh, someone who is making presentations to uh, which will demonstrate your knowledge. Because yeah. whenever you make a presentation, you got to worry about Charlie in the back row who's going to throw you a curveball. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Well, you know, we always say, at least we always say out here in California, it's it's fairly easy to find an investigator that does good, thorough investigations. And it's fairly easy to find somebody that writes good, uh, thorough reports. It's very difficult to find somebody who can do both. Well, a lot of the educational processes over the years have deteriorated. When I first got into the business, I went to a course where it was a one-case scenario through 16 weeks, and you had to develop a case based on uh, interaction with professional actors and so on, and they really came down hard if you didn't write properly. We've got people that think that I ain't got nothing now is appropriate language. <laughs> right. You know, I, yeah. you know, I ain't got no never. Yeah. Well, Bill, it's great. It was great having you on the show. Uh, we're at the end of the time. Another episode is ended. But I appreciate you being on the show. This has been valuable information. And for the rest of you guys, tune in again as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Bill Blake, who's also a security consultant, by the way, every Thursday morning. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 